Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 53. in with an edit here because I started my podcast and forgot to say that at the end I will be debuting two songs from the album I've been working on the whole time so if you want to hear them skip to the end or listen to the whole podcast and then you can listen to them at the end okay now we'll do the podcast how you doing how you been I've missed you guys I'm sorry it's been so long I know that like it's been really hard for you in your lives without my amazing scintillating podcast but you know things just came up i mean i did this the first weekend i think it's the second of november and you know i've been doing like every two weeks lately so i didn't really think about it the week after and then the next weekend i was supposed to do it but i had so many chores and then we had some friends come over and spend the day with us on saturday which was quite lovely and then i just couldn't get it done you know i eventually on sunday i had to make like a call and be like well you have like seven things you need to get done today which ones are you gonna do and the podcast just didn't make it and then i realized oh no man now the next weekend we gotta be out of town so then it was three weekends and now finally it's been four weeks one two three weeks uh one two three weeks four weeks something like four weeks it's been forever anyway i'm really sorry i'm really sorry but i'm back i'm committed at no point did I think to myself it was never a matter of like, ah, I don't want to do that anymore, or I'm feeling lazy or anything like that. I'm committed to this completely pointless podcast for the foreseeable future. I'm into it. I make lists all week thinking about the things I'm going to talk about. And this one, you know, this one might be the longest one ever. I got four weeks of stuff to get through. Uh, and I, you know, I don't want to like ram rush. I don't want to rush. I do want to ramble. I want to be discursive. I want to like sort of explore topics and not just rattle off things I did and read and saw and listened to, you know, like it's a conversation. It's a one-way conversation, <laughs> but it's a conversation. <laughs> so. Yeah, so yeah, Chatham County, it's doing great, it's lovely outside, it's a crisp 50 degrees, it's fully autumn now, the leaves are turning, I'm turning my head and looking outside out onto the pond, and it's just beautiful out there. It took forever for the leaves to turn though, I mean, I don't think they really started turning until like a week or two ago, but now it is definitely fall here, and you know, having been up to Boston and New York since I last talked to you, I know it's a lot worse there and a lot colder, and you guys are almost into winter now, but here it is just a lovely kind of cool autumn. It did get really cold for a while there. Uh, A couple weeks ago, it got down to the 30s. It was a little intense, but now it's fine. It's quite nice. Uh, Thanksgiving. Hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, we had a great time yesterday. No guests, just the four of us. 
Emma, myself, Jane, and Janet. It was quite nice. I made the whole dinner again. It's my seventh year making all of Thanksgiving. I got really into it when we lived in Brooklyn, when I finally had a nice kitchen. And now I'm, 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 I think I pretty much, I, I made a couple of little small mistakes, but I, I really committed this year to do everything as well as possible. I've been like improving my recipes through the years. This year I made a binder. <laughs> it's awesome. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like, I got, yeah, I'd rather have them printed out because you want to be able to look at more than one recipe at a time so you can't just do it on your phone or something and then you can't staple them together because sometimes you want to spread them out and you can't put them all just in a binder because if you put them in a binder then you know their pages are stuck so you have a binder and in the binder it's got a bunch of those pocket folder pages and in each pocket it's got one recipe so I can spread them out and I can flip through them it was amazing I spent all day Tuesday well all morning Tuesday not the work day but the morning making this binder I'm super into it and the other things I really wanted to like nail this year was my warm strategy so I always have these problems with like you know once the turkey's out of the oven you got that hour you basically gotta make everything else and it's like keeping things warm so I really I really committed to making sure everything was warm which involved getting out the instant pot and the slow cooker and the old beat up toaster oven and the big fancy new toaster oven and the oven and the stove so there's like seven or eight places to keep things warm and everything was just perfectly warm and piping hot that was great but I forgot to foil over the stuffing after I made it and I was keeping it warm. So it got a little too brown on the top. That was a little bit, that was my one big mistake. Also, I guess I just bought bad asparagus. I don't know. It was really stringy. It might've been me. I'm not good at cooking asparagus. I don't really like asparagus, so it's hard for me to cook it, but I thought I really nailed it. And then they're eating and they're like, no, this is too stringy. So, you know, I will work on the asparagus again, but everything else turned out great. We had like six vegetables. We had corn and beets and asparagus and Brussels sprouts and mashed potatoes and stewed carrots that I make in the drippings of the turkey and the roasting pan. Those are so good. And I made a ton and we have tons of leftovers and I've already had three Thanksgiving meals so far because I'm just going to eat it until it's gone. And then I made... I uh, ended up with 10 quarts of broth at the end after, uh, you know, after covering the turkey and taking everything and making the broth in a giant, giant stock pot that I will well, I have to refrigerate and then scrape off the fat still. But then I'm going to make batches of turkey tom yum bone broth, which is very exciting. I did that last year and it's so delicious. It's even more like intense and 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 and, and savory than chicken stock based bone broth that I make usually. So for the next, you know, ten to twelve days I'll be drinking Tom Yum bone broth. Turkey Tom Yum bone broth instead of chicken Tom Yum bone broth. So that's a good variety through the year. It's kind of exciting. Uh, I spent all this morning the stock went overnight. And I, you know, it's like this giant, like, I think it's a 14 quart stock bot. It's huge. And so I got like 10 quarts of stock out of it and I had to like, it took forever because you can't lift the thing. So you got to scoop it out and then you got, it's the whole thing. But I did all that this morning. That was very exciting. Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. We watched a movie afterwards. Also, we did it really early. So I timed the whole thing to be like around Jane's lunchtime. So we had dinner and <laughs> Thanksgiving at noon and then Jane went down at one and we were done cleaning and everything by 2.30, which was awesome. I was looking at Instagram stories, especially on the West Coast, you know, people were just like sitting down to eat and I was like, I've been done for hours. <laughs> it was great. It was a great day. I love Thanksgiving. It is one of my favorite holidays, if not my favorite holiday. Um, 
you know, I mean, obviously America was an evil colonialist bastard back in the day. And the whole thing they teach us in school about the pilgrims and the Indians. And, uh, also I looked up yesterday cause my friend Emily wrote a long post about her complex feelings about Thanksgiving, which I share. And she was talking about the pilgrims cause she grew up near Plymouth and she's got a descendant of the Mayflower. And my friend Annie commented on it and she was like, Rick, don't you have a descendant of the Mayflower? Are you guys related? So I was like, uh, Emily said which descendant she was from. So I looked it up. I've got this family tree that goes back to like the 1200s or something. My uncle was like one of those obsessive genealogists. I mean, I always knew there was a Mayflower, but I never bothered to look up who. So I looked it up and it was, it was William Bradford. He is my eight great grandfather on my dad's side. And, uh, he is basically the dude that was the guy that kind of did that whole Thanksgiving thing you know, <laughs> with the Indians and all that. So like, I guess I have an even more complicated relationship with this holiday than I realized before. So yeah, I guess I'm a descendant of evil Colonius. I mean, I knew that already, but uh, anyway, so, you know, I was like thinking about it and I was like thinking about how, well, you know, I don't really think of Thanksgiving in that way. I mean, obviously that you should be aware of the bad connotations and all that, but for me, you know, it's all about thankfulness. And then I was sort of, you know, I'm reading this book about the new deal. I'll talk about that in the book section, but I was thinking about FDR and I was like, wasn't it during the FDR's administration when they finally like nailed down when Thanksgiving was? And I had forgotten about this. I read this in the Doris Kearns Goodwood book, but uh, they, they call it Franksgiving because during the, the depression, he tried to move Thanksgiving earlier to make the shopping season, Christmas shopping, shopping season longer to like stimulate the economy for He did it for like three or four years and everybody hated it and they made fun of him and uh, it didn't work. So he gave up and he went back. And when he went back in 1941, that is when Thanksgiving became finally a formalized holiday in the United States, a federal holiday on the fourth Thursday. It was always like jumping around before that. You know what I mean? So then I went and I read like FDR's Thanksgiving proclamations. There's a great article in the nation from the last couple of years during the Trump administration it's like fdr and thanksgiving versus trump's his fdr's proclamations everything that trump got wrong and i read them all yesterday and they were great and they didn't talk about pilgrims and indians and all that they talked about like you know being a country fighting for freedom and democracy and fairness and things like that and being thankful for the bounty and i was like yeah i can get behind this so I am going to think of Thanksgiving as a random federal holiday put in place during FDR's administration to think of like the good that the United States should be doing in the world and personal thankfulness. That's what I do. I don't forget the awful colonial stuff, but I'm going to I'm going to still go with this holiday because I really like this one. I like feeling thankful. I write a long list every year. I've been doing it since I was a kid. My parents started it when I lived in Alaska. I think I was like 12 or 13. And they would put this paper on the wall and they'd be like, we were thankful for it. And I got really into it and I wrote long lists. And I still do it every year. Posted it on Facebook yesterday. So, I mean, I'm 47. So I guess that was the 34th year I did that. <laughs> I'm really committed to Thanksgiving. I'm really committed to Thanksgiving. So I've done some traveling since I've last talked to you. Been to New York a couple times. That was fun. I saw my friend Dougie Pfeffer and his wife and their new baby. That was super cute. And I saw my friend Jenna, which is always a nice treat because she's always roaming around the whole world and she's barely ever in New York anymore. And I'm barely ever in New York anymore. She's in New York even less than I am. So, you know, I see her maybe two or three times a year in New York and, and we bro down. We got some good Indian food. That was super nice and super fun. I uh, had a dinner with my friend and Kristen that I work with now that was really productive and nice it's funny we've been doing those for a couple of years now since way before 
she worked with us and now it's like, you know, we talk a lot about work now. <laughs> it's kind of, we talk about other stuff too. We talk, talk about the recurring themes and the other stuff that we always talk about, but it's funny now. It's all we can expense the dinner and talk about work most of the time. It's kind of hilarious. I saw my friend Rob Cromer. That was good. He's got a new company. It's like an Amazon, uh, ad, like SEO advertising kind of thing. And they're doing really well. It's pretty crazy. It's a big business, man. I mean, you know, I was aware of it and you read those articles about Amazon being big advertising thing and, you know, Amazon's a big advertising thing with us. So I was aware of that, but like the whole other side, the real side, everybody advertising on Amazon with products, like learning the ins and outs and that it's very fascinating. Rob's business is super interesting. But then the uh, last trip, you know, I did that. Uh, I saw Jenna the first night and I was going to stay in town. I was going to saw Rob, but I didn't really have any other plans. And there's a new flight home. This is pretty exciting. There's a flight now at 9 PM from LaGuardia at RDU. Last one used to be at like eight, 30, I think, and it was just a little too tight to make when you get out of work at six, but nine you can do. So, uh, I just went home. It was awesome. I got home at like 11 PM and I may do that more often. I'm not doing it this trip because I want to see the hold steady at Brooklyn bowl next Tuesday, next Wednesday. So that's very exciting. I don't know if anybody's going the first night of their residency at Brooklyn bowl. Let me know. I'll see you there. But, uh, I think I might do that, you know, not after, not these two trips during the holidays, but next year I might try and do that a couple times, just make it one night and go home late. Uh, I didn't get a lot of sleep, but I woke up and I was home. It was awesome. And so, <laughs> and you know, work didn't know I did it. So they were thinking I was flying in the morning when I wasn't flying. I was already home. So that was nice. That's pretty cool. I recommend it. Uh, and then we went to Boston last weekend. This is why I didn't do the podcast last weekend. Uh, there was a surprise wedding slash art show slash rock concert. Uh, two of my friends met through not just me, me and our friends, uh, a bunch of us knew both of them and they kind of like, they knew who each other were, but they didn't really, you know, hang out. They both don't live in Boston anymore. And so they didn't see that much of each other for a lot of years, but finally they sort of like started seeing each other and they got married. It's kind of crazy. And there was an art exhibit and it was up in Portsmouth, Maine. I hadn't been there in a long time. Portsmouth. I love Portsmouth. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen the uh, Jeremy Irons, Julia Binoche film from the 80s called Damage, but I'm really into it. It's sort of a English sex scandal parliament kind of thing, kind of like the Profumo affair, but it's fictionalized. And uh, the, anyway, the movie ends with Jeremy Irons, who was a member of parliament. He's like ostracized from the scandal. So he moves to a small town in Spain and has to live out the rest of his life in sort of like anonymity and ignominy. And I always have it in the back of my head. This is something I've been doing for years since I first started going to Portsmouth actually in the early nineties where I'd be like, well, where would I go? What town would that be? I mean, I guess now it's moot. I live in the middle of nowhere. I could just stay home. But when I used to live in Boston and New York, I was like, what if you like, you know, and then I used to use Monica Lewinsky as an example, like it was just such a giant scandal and you got to lay low and you don't want anybody to know you or see you, but you got to find a town. You just got to hide. And I always think of Portsmouth as that town. It's a great little town. I could like hide there if I had to, if I was, if there was a scandal. Uh, but we didn't stay there that long, you know? And then, uh, yeah, it was like, it was Jane's first trip. It was kind of exciting. So I'm not her first trip. She took a road trip to Atlanta with Emma a long time ago, almost a year ago now, but it was her first plane trip. And so we got, she woke up at nine and we drove to the airport. We took an 1130 flight to Boston. So she drove in the car and then we took the plane. She did great in the plane. She cried a little bit. She didn't really want to get strapped into that strappy thing. Um, but you know, eventually she took it and then the whole flight there, she was fine. She was just looking at Sesame street. Then we took a bus from Logan to the rental car center. Then we got in the rental car. Then we drove to the hotel. And then we checked into the hotel. And we got back into the car. And then we drove up to Hamilton, Massachusetts to see our friends Ashley and Brandon. They visited us a few weeks ago. And so we figured we'd visit them on the way. 
but it was like crazy Friday getting out of Boston holiday traffic. So we only got like half an hour at their house, but it was nice. It was awesome. It was like halfway between Boston and Portsmouth where we were going for this wedding and they fed us pizza and they gave us Diet Coke and they let Jane run around and their, their son Elliot loves Jane and it was really cute. They played around and we got a tour of their house and we got back in the car, back on the road, made it to Portsmouth perfectly on time. Didn't get to spend a lot of time early roaming the gallery, but we saw the opening, got there before the rock concert started, saw the rock concert, saw the wedding, saw all our friends. It was great. Then we drove back to Boston and Jane just was like, awesome. She, she napped a little bit in the car between Boston and Hamilton on the way up. And then she had so much fun at the wedding and the opening that she was just hyper and she got in the car and she was happy and hyper and she slowly calmed down through the drive. It was kind of like the equivalent of like the hour or two some baby spend. She definitely does spends in the crib, not falling asleep, you know, but she did it in the car. So by the time we got into the hotel room, we took her upstairs. She put her in the, in the crib in this strange hotel room and she just fell asleep like instantly. It was awesome. And, uh, Em and I had kind of worked out that like the first night would be my night out and the second night would be her night out. So she stayed in. And I went to this dance night up the road. We were staying in Harvard Square uh, with Sean and Jesse and Richard Bouchard and Abby. And it was this, it's this new dance night. It's called Glitter Boys. It's not new. It's a year or two old. They've told me about it before. And it's gotten really popular and really crowded. Uh, apparently, it used to be awesome when it was empty. Jesse says, you know, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. But it was packed. It was a fundamentally great dance night. It's all like 70s electro, Italian disco, and a weird electro. And it's like packed with like all sorts of people from from like queens to like harvard kids to like weird dancing freaks and you know old weirdos like us and it's just awesome it's legitimately a, like one of the best dance nights boston has always had amazing dance nights it is a fertile fertile place for amazing dance nights in the non-electronica vein like you know they got soul nights they got goth nights they got new wave nights they got electro nights it's like you know it's crazy i mean in a lot of ways it's better than new york i mean i used to spend a ton of time trying to find dance nights in new york and you could find you know like the woods and, and places like that they always had dance nights but they're like kind of always the same music and you know where we'd go to factory nights and they I mean nobody would really go like boston man they, they 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 do their dance right nights right it was really impressive i was impressed so then went to sleep and got up the next day and i took jane to the boston's children's museum which was lovely i met my old friend abigail and she brought her whole family her two daughters and my aunt sahila and her husband stefan who I, I knew before they got married but i haven't seen him in like i don't know 12 years or something like that it was amazing i mean i see abigail once a year if i'm lucky these days but it was great and her kids are like early teens now it's nuts they've grown up so much and they love jane and they all ran around we had a great time children's museums are awesome places to take Take your kid because you don't have to like be a helicopter parent because there's really nothing they can do uh and i used to just get annoyed at the whole like unaccompanied adult thing not allowed but now i'm like cool that's great i just sit here and watch my kid and i can sit in the corner and she can run around it was quite nice i really enjoyed it uh, then I brought Jane back to the hotel and Emma took her up to Gloucester to meet her cousins and her great aunts, I guess they are. Emma's aunts are great aunts, right? Uh, and I took a nap, which was awesome. <laughs> Naps rule. And then we all met up with uh, me. Emma got back and me, Emma, Jane went to Grendel's and met with Sean and Jesse and Abby and Emily and Annie came out, which was awesome. And Richard Bouchard and Eva Lise came out. It was really great. We spent some time there, had some dinner, had some drinks, back to the hotel. Oh, I forgot to say, when we were going out to meet them at Grendel's, we were walking out the revolving door at our hotel, and in walking the revolving door was Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> it was awesome. And I was like, oh, my God. And she's like, hi, how you doing? And she's like... <laughs> 
And I was like, we've met before. And she politely pretended she remembered. And then, but she's just all, she's so good. She's like, let's get a picture. And then she like did the selfie and like got in and like angled the light, made sure the light was right. Got Jane in, made sure it was all good. And then she took the picture. She's like, keep, keep up the fight. And then she just went upstairs to wherever she was going. And we were just like, oh my God, this is amazing. It was quite nice. Uh, yeah. And then, so then Grendel's in bed. Then we woke up Then went to the airport. We flew home. Jane did, was great on the second flight. The whole thing, total trooper. She was awesome. She's doing great. Otherwise she's got so many words. She just talks more and more and more. Now she's like, she messes with you when you leave the room. She goes, no kiss. And you have to go back and give her a kiss. And then you start to walk away again. And she's like, no kiss. <laughs> and she'll just keep doing it. And she does hug now. And she learns new words every day. It's nuts, man. It's like you can have whole conversations. It's it's really amazing. She's really amazing. And she's just getting cuter. I don't know how long that's going to last. But uh, she is very, 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 very cute. It is kind of nuts. <laughs> she's got this little toy, toy slide. It's like four inches tall. It's a Duplo slide. It goes with the Duplo set. And she sits on it and tries to slide on it. Like it's a regular size slide. It's so cute. Like, what is she doing? I don't even know. All right. Well, I guess that's a good overview of my life for the last few weeks. Uh, you know, aside from the the music stuff, which we'll get to at the end. I mean, my music stuff. So I guess we'll move into the media consumption portion of the podcast. It's been like four weeks, so there's a lot. This part is going to feel a little listy. I apologize, but I want to get through it all and make some recommendations for you. Uh, the stuff we sold on Discogs, we did pretty good, actually. I mean, it's like nine things. That's pretty impressive. We sold uh, this compilation called Guitar Guitarists that I really love. It's like a mid-90s indie rock instrumental guitar pieces from people like Dean Wareham from Luna, Kurt Rowles from Ultra Vivid Scene, uh, Sonic Boom I think is on it from Spaceman 3 it was really great, it's a really great record, I don't know if it's on Spotify or anything like that, I ripped it obviously uh, it's just instrumental but it's it's nice and uh, I forgot all about it until somebody bought it so I listened to that again and then I sold the Fishing with John soundtrack, I was a little bit sad about that because I love Fishing with John but I ripped it as well, it never came out on vinyl sadly so that is not in my collection anymore that is john lurie of lounge lounge lizards fame i don't know if you ever saw fishing with john it is an amazing show eight episodes fishing with guests like willem dafoe and tom waits strongly recommend it uh it's hard to find on the internet but if you hit me up i'll send it to you again on plex or i'll share it with you on my plex or something like that it's wonderful show uh six half hour episodes it's totally worth it it was funny uh, sold Aphex Twin Analog Bubble Bath 4. Good riddance. I have lost interest in the Aphex Twin as I've gotten older. He's very intelligent, but it's just not for me, I've decided. Uh, sold Deer Hunter Rainwater Cassette Exchange. I like Deer Hunter, but that came with a 480E sort of gift pack I got one when I went to auction, a charity auction for Haiti. So I never really cared about it. That's fine. Uh, sold the Underground Lovers Dream It Down album, except uh, it turns out there's two different versions of that album. Not just, I mean, there's an Australian version and an American version, which is common with albums, obviously, but the difference is is like the American version is a totally different track listing. It's basically not the same album at all, even though they have the same name. And I had misfiled mine and the guy wanted the Australian one and I had the American one. So I had to tell him I had the wrong one. I felt bad, but so I kept that. Uh, I sold Flux of Pink Indians. I don't know if you know about those guys. Pretty cool, weird instrumental, uh, sort of mainly Icelandic band on One Little Indian. And uh, Uncarved Block is the name of the album. I forgot about Flux, man. And they are great. And that album is awesome. It's funny. Uh, it turned out it was a cutout edition that I had. So when I sold it, I was like, oh, I graded this wrong. So I had to write the guy. I was like, look, man, I graded this wrong. Uh, you can have it, but I'll knock a bunch of price off or I can cancel the order. He's like, oh, I don't care. I just want a copy for my car because it's my favorite album. And I was like, oh, 
okay. And I was like, wow, wait, really? And I listened to it again. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a really good record. It's <laughs> a really good record. Uh, I sold The Fan and the Bellows by The Chameleons, which I regret selling, but it's done. So, oh, well. I sold The Afghan Wigs, What Jail Is Like. I had a eight-song promotional EP of What Jail Is Like. It's got, like, My World Is Empty Without You live and some other stuff on there. I hear Symphony, I think, is on there live. Uh, but I have that on 12-inch as well, so I was, like, completely comfortable with selling that one. And then an Emperor Norton release called Double Lab Presents Freeways, which I got as a promo at some point in my life, and I never listened to once. And I was like, should I listen to this? Nah, whatever, it can go. So I just sold that. So those are the what went sold. It's actually a lot. And it was every, every one of them was like the day I was leaving for New York or Boston. And I was like, oh, I had to, every day I'd be like, I'm sorry, I can't ship this out for two days. Nobody cared, but I hate doing that. It bums me out. My store does say it'll take three days to ship, but I just, it stresses me out. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Ugh, I just did the whole vinyl section and it wasn't recording. So now I got to work up the energy to do it again. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Vinyl. We got some vinyl in the last four weeks. You got four pieces of vinyl. Got the new Nick Cave on vinyl. Ghostine. I had uh, misordered. I ordered a package of the t-shirt and album and I didn't notice that I ordered the CD in the album or in the t-shirt. So the package came and I was like, well, this is a great t-shirt and it is a great t-shirt. Well, but it's got a CD and I wanted a vinyl. So I, you know, I gave the CD to my friend Catherine who lives in Alabama, which is kind of crazy. Never really envisioned her living in Alabama, but it's awesome. She seems to like it. And she was like, I'll take a copy from my car. So I sent that to her and I ordered the vinyl. I got the vinyl. It's great. Nice, heavy stock. Big thing requires extra large vinyl sleeves. Like, uh, same, like the last one, Skeleton Tree was like that too. Uh, it's great. No extra songs or anything, but it's lovely. Uh, then I got the Watchmen, Trent Reznor and Agnes Ross, volume one of the Watchmen soundtrack, which is like made like an in-universe record. It's kind of crazy. Um, you know, I'll try to do this spoiler free, but basically in the Watchmen, there is, uh, a band that's sort of playing Madison Square Garden the night of major events in the comic book and they're called Pale Horse and this band is called Sons of Pale Horse so sometime in the you know 30 years since the events of the comic and the, the show now taking place in the current era this band is sort of inspired by that band they're called Pale Horse and the album is called The Book of Rorschach and it's like you know it's uh, like quotes from Rorschach's journal and stuff like that and this album it's like a reissue it's got liner notes from a critic and things like that and like you know the whole thing is it's being reissued now nobody's really thought about this album in a long time they like we're kind of the first people it's kind of like you know maybe like uh, Nature and Organization or Current 93 where it's like oh they're just saying this stuff and but then like a lot of people around them sort of turned into Nazis or 7th Cavalry in their case and, and uh, so we all kind of shunned it but they weren't really like that but you know the connotations changed and uh, so, but you know, now we're reissuing it because it's an interesting album. Doesn't say Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross on it anywhere. It's pretty crazy. And one of the members of the band, whose last name is Des Chains, which is like the last name of somebody in the comic. And uh, when it came in the mail, I was like, oh my God, did they time this? Like, is this going to, it came on Sunday morning and I was like, is this going to be related to the episode? Are there spoilers of this vinyl? But no, it turned out there was no spoilers. It's just like a big elaborate in-universe thing like they do with Westworld or something like that. It's pretty impressive though. It was very impressive. And then, uh, got a Queens of the Stone Age vinyl from Vinyl Me Please. Uh, I forgot to like go up there and pick. So they just sent me the default one. It's good. I never loved them, but I enjoy them live and they're fun. So I'm glad to have this record. That's cool. It worked out. And then the new Last Lettered Cohen album called Thanks for the Dance. Bought the vinyl. Uh, so after 
You Want It Darker came out. Leonard had a bunch more songs, so he called in a producer and his son, Adam Cohen, and he just sat in a chair and he recorded all his vocals and told them how he wanted the new album to go. He knew it wasn't going to live long enough to finish it, and he charged them with getting this one last album out, and they've spent the last few years working on it, and they've got a whole host of people, some old collaborators of Leonard Cohen's like Jennifer Warnes and Javier Idem, the Spanish guitarist that has been touring with Leonard since he started touring again, and then a bunch of like indie rock people like Damien Rice and Leslie Feist and a guy from Death Cab and Beck is on it and they did a great job it sounds like a Leonard Cohen album I mean the vocals are definitely a little bit more scratchier even than before but uh, it's solid and it's very good and I strongly recommend it it's on Spotify it's called Thanks for the Dance so that's the vinyl Ooh, had to do that twice all right now we're going into new territory I haven't done this part yet that's good did I sound suitably enthusiastic saying all those words for a second time now that you know it was a second time? Is it weird? Do I sound like fake? Does it take away from the presentation? I wonder. I wonder. Anyway, all the other music I listened to in the last three or four weeks, there's a Tiny Desk concert, NPR Tiny Desk concerts. You know, remember I told you I'm getting really into my YouTube channels, subscribe to NPR, and there's a great Lizzo Tiny Desk concert. I strongly recommend it. She keeps saying this tiny-ass desk. <laughs> it's really good. She's awesome. Uh... There's a new Underground Lovers album. I really love that band. I already talked about them because I sold an Underground Lovers. Sometimes it's weird when that happens. Is it a coincidence that somebody else know about this new album and decide they wanted to be completists with their discography of Underground Lovers? They've been around forever, man. And they're just this Australian kind of shoegaze band that is still going. And they're great. Their new album is called The Left Turn. It is on Spotify. I don't know if there's going to be a vinyl. There is going to be a vinyl. This band has no U.S. distribution, so it is very hard to get their stuff. They used to have okay distribution import style in the 90s, but nobody even imports their shit anymore. So I don't know. I'm going to try and get that on vinyl at some point, but we'll see. There's new Pet Shop Boys out. I listened to the Dreamland EP. It sounded promising. There's going to be a whole album, I think not till January. And there's a second EP in the next week or two. So that is very exciting if you're a Pet Shop Boys fan. If you're a Pet Shop Boys fan from the 80s and 90s and I haven't listened to them in the whole time, I strongly recommend listening to their later work because it's awesome. Uh, I listened to the Underworld Drift Series 1. I don't know what's up with that. It's not like an official Underworld album, but it sounds like an official Underworld album. They just had an album, and this is like maybe like outtakes or B-sides or something. I don't really know, but it's awesome. It could be an Underworld album. I don't really know. Uh, and then there's a new Mikkel Cronin album called Seeker. I really like Mikkel Cronin. I think he's a very talented young gentleman. Guitarist in the psychedelic vein. Not the, not like the psych freak out, but sort of like sun-tinged California psychedelic. Uh, I always enjoy him. He played in Durham and I didn't go. I'm a little bit bummed about that. There's a new Sun O album called Pyro Chasts. They have not come to town. I hope they do because I'm going to bring Emma. <laughs> one, of her, one of the first shows Emma and I ever went to together was a Sun O concert. She had never heard of them and she like she was like, yeah, this is interesting. And I was like, oh, that's promising. <laughs> so this one and we'll put up with a Sun O concert. We've actually seen them together like three or four times now, including a time where uh, Sun O did a Sun O show with, with Julian Cope from The Teardrop Explodes on vocals doing sort of Tuvan throat singing while dressed like an ent, as in dressed like a tree. It was amazing. That was one of the weirdest shows we've ever seen. <laughs> but anyway, the new Sun O is awesome. If you like Sun O, it's more of the same. It's great. Play loud. Uh, there's any cigarettes after sex. I don't know where I'll get into this band, but I really like them. And they're kind of like moody, melodic. 
alternative. The album's called Cry. One of the first singles I listened to at the beginning of this year was by Cigarettes After Sex, and I've been waiting for this album for most of the year. I don't. Maybe I missed a release in between. I don't really know, but it's great. I strongly recommend it. Uh, and then my friend Nikki got me into this woman named Caroline Polachek, and her old album came out. It's called Peng. Actually, it sounds a lot like Cigarettes After Sex. They're both in sort of that moody female X-re sort of uh, moody female alternative thing. I listen to a lot of that lately. Speaking of which, there's also a new Big Thief album, Two Hands. Three moody female alternative acts in a row. They're all really good, though. Uh, Peng is awesome, actually. That was a really good record. I was impressed. Uh, the Big Thief record, uh, people love her, and I'm trying to get into her more, and I really like her, but there's something about her. It's not, it's not, maybe, maybe, they, I don't know, maybe they don't listen to Cigarettes After Sex or Caroline Polachek, and they don't really know how other awesome, moody female women selling alternative, you know, or X-Re or stuff like that. I don't like her as much as the batch of them, but she is very good, and I do regret not going and seeing her, but, you know, I got a baby. That's not going to happen. There's a Nils Fromm outtakes album called All Encores. It's sort of like reworkings and interpretations and outtakes from his last album, All Melody. It's worth a listen. Very, very ambient and sparse. I have a writing playlist that I put mostly instrumental stuff on, so it made it into that. I would love to see him live again, by the way. That guy is awesome. Uh, there's a Screaming Females singles and uh, outtakes collaboration out called Singles 2. It has some great covers on it. I strongly recommend listening to it at least once. Amongst the covers on that album are Cortez the Killer, If It Makes You Happy, and Taylor Swift Shake It Off, which they do a great job on. And there's some other ones too. It's 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 very good. It's not an album, it's you know a collection of songs, but some of the songs are really awesome. New Chromatics album, Closer to Grey, was very, very solid. I don't know if you guys are into the chromatics. Uh, I would chalk them up to being yet another moody female, female fronted, as opposed to the rest that seems to be purely female. Uh, alternative there, and one of the bands that play at the end of the new last season of Twin Peaks, for example, so that should give you an idea of what they sound like. Very good. I was into it. Started a couple tracks. Haven't given it a second listen to yet, but I'm going to. I just There's a lot of new stuff coming out, and I, I, I haven't gotten... Some of these I haven't listened to more than once yet. Uh, new Lightning Bolt is awesome. It's called Sonic Citadel. It, it sounds like Lightning Bolt. Maybe slightly more metal. Uh, definitely a little bit of an evolution to that. Not just exactly more of the same, but also more of the same. But their albums are great, and they're short, and they're fast, and they're a nice big blast. There's actually one song in there that's like eight, nine minutes, and it's awesome. So <laughs> I recommend that. Uh, Girl Pool, Chinatown EP. That is pretty good. I only gave it one listen, did Star Trek. Uh, always... Uh, I get them mixed up with another girl named band, and I'm always slightly surprised when I listen to Girl Pool. Oh no, I get them mixed up with Sound Pool, who's very shoegaze, and Girl Pool's more indie rock, jingly jangly. And so I'm always like a little bit confused. I'm like, oh yeah, this band, they're pretty good. Uh, like they're like a happy pavement, happy, slightly more melodic pavement, I would say. Uh, Radiator Hospital, Torch Song. I don't know who recommended that to me. Uh, it's kind of uh, almost grungy in a way. Uh, not like... Uh, like uh, Not like moody grungy, but like definitely like a little bit like uh, early Nirvana maybe? That's bad. I can't describe it, but it was more rock than I was expecting, but it was really good. Uh, new FKA Twigs is awesome called Magdalena. Some people don't like it because it's moody, moody and slow and quiet, but... As you may have noticed, I am in a moody, slow, and quiet alternative female-fronted band's mood right now, so that new FKA Twigs really hit the spot. 
Uh, there's a new anime Noguchi. It's kind of awesome. It's called USA. They seem to be getting a little political. It's super upbeat and psychedelic and swirly and very, it's not, I mean, it's electronic, but it's, it's dancey, but it's not, it's almost like a, the, the polyphonic spree or something. It's cool. It's, it's the lyrically it's dark. It's a political album. So good for them, but uh, it's, it's interesting. I really liked it. And then I listened to the new Earl sweatshirt, which is a 15 minute long album called feet of clay. I gave it four listens because I was like, I need to develop an opinion on this. And, uh, as is my very bad habit, I listened to it almost entirely from a production point of view. I I'm really bad at listening to lyrics and rap songs. I always just end up listening to the production and the flow and it's got very good flow and very good production. So I guess I'm with it. I'm into that album. Uh, then there's a new Sheila divine album. Sheila divine is a band fronted by my old friend, Aaron Perino, Boston based band. Uh, they've got a new album called beginning of the end is where we'll start again. And it is awesome. I love it. I used to not love the Sheila divine. I love them live, but I didn't like them musically on album because I thought they were like kind of straight ahead rock. And this one is still kind of straight ahead rock. And also they're not really straight ahead rock. I was just too up my own butt in shoegaze and feedback. And I realized they still had a substantial amount of shoegaze and feedback. There's a show we played when I was in this band called the Texas governor. We played with the Sheila divine. We opened for them at the paradise and they covered the killing moon by echo and the bunny men. And this is all before I was really good friends with Aaron. So I didn't really, you know, know as well yet. And that was when that really opened my eyes to how good the Sheila divine really were. And so I've been into him since, and this new album is awesome. The other thing is Aaron and I are almost about the same age, so uh, his album is definitely an album of aging, and I really love it lyrically. It's almost moot what the album music sounds like, because I'm just obsessed with it lyrically. It's a great record. <laughs> I'm, I'm super into it. Uh, then I listened to an album called Cave Town. It's like a singer-songwriter dude from England. He's really young. He's like 20 now. The album is called Lemon Boy. I was hipped to this album by Amaya and Sahila, my friend Abigail's daughters that we went to the Children's Museum with. And <laughs> it's very good. It's almost like an old noise addict or something, like in the, uh, the bedroom rock, you know. This guy's channeling the poppy side of Lou Barlow or something like that. It's, it's clever. It's good. It's not my alley exactly, but... It's because it's probably 2% too twee for me, but uh, it's solid. I was impressed. I will give Cave Town's other releases a listen. Uh, then I listened to a, a compilation called Come On Up to the House, Women Seeing Weights, which is a compilation of women covering Tom Waits, which is fantastic. I strongly recommend it if you're a Tom Waits fan. Uh, then Annie hipped me to a post-rock band called Sanhet, S-A-N-N-H-E-T. I listened to an EP of theirs called Short Life and an album called So Numb. So Annie went to, goes to these post-rock festivals, which is awesome. It's the sort of thing I would have be used to do and I would still be doing if I didn't have a baby. And she travels to like these sort of post-rock festivals in like the Midwest and stuff. Like not like not just big headline post-rock bands like Explosions in the Sky. In fact, it's rare even one big headline band plays these festivals. It's just like 10, 20 post-rock bands from like the midwest of america she said she met one and it's just like two like 17 year old girls and their brother and it's just awesome and there's tons of these good post-rock bands so i asked her to start feeding them to me because i am super into post-rock but i am not good at keeping up uh so she sent me that one and they're great i strongly recommend san het and then uh, Trust, capital T, capital R, slash, capital S, capital T, has an album called The Destroyer that maybe Annie gave me or somebody else did. I'm not sure because it's post rock E, but a little bit more like metal-y, kind of like the cave-in thing. Uh, but it was really good as well. I'm into that. Uh, given that two listens now, it needs to get one more listen to star some tracks, but it was solid. And then I was thinking about Martin Gore from Depeche Mode and his counterfeit albums. 
He has an EP called Counterfeit EP and an album called Counterfeit 2, and they're all covers. And Counterfeit 1 came out in 1988 or 89. I was still in high school, and I bought it on vinyl and CD because I loved it so much, more than I loved Depeche Mode, actually. And I was thinking that I don't, to this day, I didn't really know who any of the songs were covers of, you know? Like, back then, I did a little research where there was no internet. It was hard to do. And then I never really bothered again. And I'm like, well, now there's the internet. I could just do this. So I decided to like look up each song that are covers of. Some of them, it turns out, I already had. like a, One of them was a Darudi column cover, and I have all the Darudi column stuff. So I was like, oh, I actually have that one. But uh, the Compulsion, the first song on the album, is was by this guy named Joe Crow, who is a singer-songwriter from like West, Northwest England, Northwest Britain. And uh, his EP was called Compulsion. And I, so I listened to his version of Compulsion and I loved it. I listened to all the originals of the stuff on uh, Counterfeit One. And they're all actually like, now that I've heard the originals, I'm like, this is a pretty slavishly covered record. <laughs> you know? Very good selection of covers, but they're very, very literal covers. Yeah, but anyway, so I've been listening to the originals of those. So I listened to the Joe Crow EP Compulsion, and it's very good. Uh, it's more sounds like if you like the original Counterfeit EP by Martin Gore, you should listen to Joe Crow's Compulsion EP. All of this stuff is on Spotify now. It's pretty awesome. There's a Tuxedo Moon one. It's great. Uh, except for the Comsat Angels cover is not on Spotify. Gone. I had to listen to that on YouTube. Kind of weird. Comsat Angels band not on Spotify. Who knew? Anyway, that's all the music. That was a lot, huh? This is going to be the longest podcast ever, even before the bonus songs of my own at the end. Let's turn to TV. You want to take a break? I'll take a break. I'm going to take a, take a sip of my, my Topo Chico here. Ah. Yeah, all right, TV. So... <laughs> Em and I are out of our K-hole of watching the Great British Baking Show because we are done. <laughs> uh, we didn't go back and watch all the first seasons. We went back to season seven. We only watched the stuff with the current hosts because, you know, of the mighty boosh. But uh, somebody told Emma or she read somewhere that it's like the show closest to smoking pot on television because it's just super chill and makes you kind of hungry. And it's totally true. And the other good thing about it is like it didn't really like bother Jane or she didn't look at it. So she would play in the playroom and we could watch it and she wouldn't be staring at the TV. So we, it was like a getting off on a technicality and not having your kid do screen time and you could still watch it. So that was good. There's a couple holiday specials. We decided to wait until the holidays to watch those, but we didn't do it yesterday. So maybe we're waiting till Christmas on that. We shall see. We shall see. Been watching a fair amount of MSNBC and the impeachment hearings, of course. Uh, man, this podcast is long enough without going in about politics or a big rant in the middle of it. So I guess I'll keep the politics late. But I am watching that stuff as much as I can. I haven't watched 100% of it, but I, you know, it's been on ambiently. All three of us, me, Emma, and Janet, are all kind of fascinated with the impeachment hearings. I mean, we're all kind of fascinated with the impeachment hearings, but we're sort of watching them and keeping track. And not that it'll make any difference, but it's, it's still kind of helpful and cathartic to know you're not crazy, maybe. Uh, but, you know, and then this Rudy stuff and the Lev Parnas stuff and the Devin Nunes thing is nuts. <laughs> Guy's such a loser. Uh, anyway, so there's that. There's The Good Place. Been watching The Good Place. Fantastic. See, I changed my mind. I thought the season was a little weaker than the old ones, but it is turning out to wrap up quite well. It's really, I like the way it's going towards the end here. It's pretty amazing. Still working on Adventure Time. I would like to have watched them all before the new HBO Adventure Times come out, but we, you know, we're slow. Three or four, they're 10 minutes long, but we still only watch like three or four a week. 
But, uh, you know, ah, the two last night were weird. It was kind of intense. Uh, and then SNL, been watching all those. Actually, it was weird. So we watched, I can't remember, one, four SNLs back. And then we watched them on Hulu. And I hit pause at the end with the credits. And so it didn't go to the end. So it wasn't telling me there was new SNL episodes because it didn't think I finished one. So they piled up with three. And we're like, what the hell, man? There's a Will Ferrell one. And then we like finally figured out what was wrong. We looked and there was the Will Ferrell one and three, two others. So then over two days, I just watched three SNLs, which is too much. And I was like, you can't binge SNL. And you're like, no, you can't. Uh, Kristen Stewart's monologue was terrible, but she was awesome at every skit, which kind of makes sense because she's an amazing actress and she's not really a comedian. But And then Will Ferrell ones were all just really weird and strange. But, you know, it's fine. Whatever. SNL, it's happening. Uh, but really, for me, it's all about Watchmen and Mandalorian. Those two shows I'm super into. And I watch them live. I watch them the day they come out. And I, well, watch what I watch at 9 p.m. Sunday every night. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting. They're both, like, doing it episodically and not binging. And I'm I'm loving it. I, I would have binged Mandalorian in, like, one night if it would all come out. And I like the way this is going. I'm super into them both. They're very satisfying for me. That's really all I'm watching. I'm not watching a ton of TV. I mean, you know, that sounded like a lot, but we're talking four weeks here. So, <laughs> and I do still have my whole YouTube thing going, which is kind of interesting. It's you know on my TV and I got a bunch of interesting channels I'm subscribed to and it's really good little like uh, five ten minute things to watch while uh, Jane is you know brushing her teeth or something like that so I'm into it. One of them I subscribe to is the Adam Savage thing. I didn't know he had this whole YouTube empire after MythBusters and he's got his cave and I got really obsessed with his cave and like how he was working and stuff. And the other thing I noticed is he's like nearsighted like I am. He's always taking his glasses off and putting them on just like I have to do. I got two sets of glasses. I got near and far now. And I was like, oh, I feel your pain, Adam Savage. We're getting old. It's pretty painful. But I really like it because it's like I'm not much of a woodworker. I mean, I took shop. I know the basics, but you know, like I just like learning about all these interesting tools and stuff. It's very educational and you find yourself, you're like, Oh, I want to oh, get a shop going. Same with that rescue restore. I don't know if you guys watch that. It's like this asthma Zen restoring old toys channel that it's just amazing rescue restore. Oh my God. It's so chill, but it makes you want to just immediately go out and buy a sandblaster. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what would I do with a sandblaster? You know, I don't know. It's hard to watch him and not get really enthused about having a woodworking shop, but I, I resist and I'm like okay this is just my woodworking outlet I'm just gonna watch these watch these people restore things and talk very quietly they don't talk at all actually it's it's amazing anyway the movies uh, big movie news here in our town is that the local theater, the Lumina, was going to close and it got bought by a bunch of helpful neighbors and they made memberships. So I got a membership. So that's very exciting. It's staying around. I will be going there this weekend to watch uh, Knives Out and Ford vs. Ferrari. I'm going to watch those two movies this weekend. Hopefully that's the plan. But uh, over the last four weeks, you know, because I was so busy, it's not like I chose movies over you guys. So I didn't watch a ton of movies uh, in the theater. I did catch Jojo Rabbit and Parasite, which is hilarious because it was like, there was five movies I wanted to see at one point, and I was like, okay, I gotta see the ones that are gonna disappear first, like it was The Lighthouse and a couple other ones and Jojo Rabbit and Parasite, and even now, weeks later, Jojo Rabbit and Parasite are both still in the theater, and I did not see Lighthouse, The Lighthouse, and I'm so bummed, and I picked the wrong one, and I should have gone to see The Lighthouse. Arr, but both those movies are very good. Uh, I like Jojo Rabbit a lot. It also made me cry. The middle got a little uh, slow in the middle. And 
then uh, I picked back up at the end. I really loved the ending. And Parasite, I liked a lot. I think perhaps it was slightly overhyped for me because I was expecting more. It's very clever in a lot of ways, and the soundtrack's awesome. The acting's awesome. It's, you know, I like that it genre shifts and jumps around, and I like that you don't know what's going to happen with it. But at the same time, as a cohesive whole, I'm like, I found it a little wanting. Other people don't seem to share that, though, so I don't really know. Uh, it was very good. You know, my problem is... Uh, I was having a talk with Andy Shea about this with Ghostine, actually, the Nick Cave album. It's like when something is really good from people you expect it to be really good, I judge it more harshly than something that is not very good that everybody hates. For example, I also watch Star Wars episodes one, two, three, four, and five because I'm trying to watch them all again before we go to see, you know, the last movie, Rise of Skywalker on the 19th. And uh, one, two, and three, I always watch them. I feel bad for George Lucas and how much everybody hates them. So I'm always trying to find something good about them. And I was doing it. I was watching Phantom Menace, which I think I was the first, the same evening I watched Parasite. And I was like, why am I trying to be so forgiving for this movie? And I'm being so hard on Parasite, which was a way better movie. But uh, I could not actually find anything redeeming in episode one. I mean, I could kind of, you know, the, the structure isn't terrible. The actual plot isn't terrible. Like, it makes sense most of it you can nitpick about certain things like the midichlorians but it's just the dialogue so bad the editing so bad there's a lot there's a lot of problems in those prequels but uh, and i didn't really get anything out of them to make it feel worth it um and then I had a big debate, like, should I watch Rogue One between episode three and four? And I was like, no, I sh I'm not going to. I have never done that, actually. I wanted to someday watch three of Rogue One, four. But I didn't do it. I just went straight to four. And, oh, my God, I thought four was, like, the greatest movie ever because it wasn't three. Uh, I actually ended up really liking Star Wars. I hadn't watched Star Wars. I watched them all every year, but I hadn't watched Star Wars and felt, like, into it in probably 20 years. And I don't know, maybe it's because it was 4K. Uh, I started watching episodes 1, 2, and 3 on my old iTunes purchases, but 4 and 5, I watched on Disney Plus. They got them in 4K. And uh, maybe that was it. I don't know, but I just loved Star Wars. I was like, oh, just the original pure Star Wars. This is great. I'm super into it. And then last night, Emma and I watched Empire on our big screen in 4K, and it looked beautiful. Oh, my God. I strongly recommend it. There is an interesting YouTube video out there. It is 4K, and it is not. They call it Ultra HDR Resolution. Uh, I'm sorry, not the resolution. The the color gamut, right? Uh, what is that? Dynamic range. HDR. Dynamic range. But it's not full HDR. It's not ultra high dynamic range. It doesn't get up to like 1,000 nits. It's like a upscaled thing. There's an interesting YouTube video about that. I should, I would recommend. But anyway, it was great. Probably gonna watch Return of the Jedi tonight. Might watch The Irishman. I don't know. I gotta watch that soon. But it's you know, three and a half hours. I don't know. This podcast is taking a really long time. I thought I'd watch it between when I finished this and when Jane woke up. But the way we, rate we're going now, there's not gonna be any time between when I finish this and Jane wakes up. <laughs> so I'll watch The Irishman tomorrow. And so I will watch Return of the Jedi tonight. Then Knives Out tomorrow day, Irishman tomorrow night. I love Thanksgiving vacations. I love vacations. I just watch so many movies. And then hopefully Ford versus Ferrari on Sunday. And then I'll feel decently caught up. There's a lot of stuff I could watch, like Harriet. And uh, there's a couple others, but we'll see. I'm so, I'm so behind all this travel and friends. It was hard. Anyway, that's movies. That is movies. Take a break. Come back for books. Two seconds. Be right back. All right, turning to books. So I finished that book, Private Government, by Elizabeth Anderson and her paper, What is the Point of Equality? I feel like I talked about this. It's not in my notes from the last podcast, but I feel like I talked about this whole thing, like a 
So I don't know. I got all these notes here, but I think I already talked about it. So I'm going to skip over that. But if you are interested in Elizabeth Anderson, I recommend starting out with her essay, What is the Point of Equality? And then moving on to private government. Because the premise of what is the point of equality is much more compelling and true than private government. And also, having read that first, you will go into private government more lenient towards Elizabeth Anderson because she is obviously very intelligent. So... We'll move on. Uh, I read Rachel Maddow's Blowout. Actually, I read that before it was a private government, but I forgot to tell you guys about it. It's pretty good. It is uh, strangely topical. Like, she did not set out to write a topical book. It is about the Russian oil industry, mainly, and, and Exxon and the American oil. It's about the oil industry. And, but, you know, I mean, this stuff, like, is now, it is all relevant. Igor Furman, Igor Farman, or whatever his name is, plays heavily in both, and it's kind of crazy. And you can see her when she's reporting on it. She's like, uh, this guy's actually in the book I wrote about the oil industry. And, uh, well, I mean, I follow that stuff a lot, and I still was shocked, shocked at some of the behavior of Exxon. It is horrible. It's a very quick read, too. So, uh, you know, if you want to get all riled up about the oil industry and it's you know it's about the oil industry and she does not like uh mince words about their environmental devastation but it's not mainly about their environmental devastation it's about like how completely corrupt and incompetent it is it's just shocking it's really shocking you know like Deepwater horizon stuff like that uh yeah anyway worth it then i reread the watchman but Alan Moore knows the score because of the show, and I wanted to like pick up more of the references, and it did help, and I've picked up a ton more references, and you know, I was a little fuzzy on the ending, because the movie does a good job mostly about the plot of The Watchmen, you know, it's a kind of a slavish reproduction until the end, and then it does a totally different end, and uh, so I was a little fuzzy on the end of the original ending of the book, and I was also fuzzy on what happened to uh, Laurie Blake and Night Owl at the end, and so I wanted to sort of do that, so I read that, and it was great, very rewarding, makes the show slightly more rewarding, slightly less random, because it is very random if you don't haven't read it, but it's still pretty random even if you have read it, I don't know, it's good, it's worth rereading. Then I read the new Star Wars book, it's called Resistant Rebor- Resistance Reborn by Laura Roanhorse, and it is a one of those... Um, Whenever there's a new Star Wars movie coming out, they have books leading up to it, a whole series, you know, kids' books, comics, books, novels, called The Road to Star Wars, The Last, you know, Rise of Skywalker, or Star Wars The Last Jedi, or whatever. And they're sort of like preparatory things that you can read to build anticipation for the new movie. And normally they're very good. And this one was good. Uh, Lauren Roundhouse is a roan horse is a very good writer. She is a Native American. And I liked it enough that I would... Uh, she lives in, like, New Mexico or something. And she's got, like, a, like her own sci-fi series that was either nominated or won the Hugo or Nebula. I don't remember. I skimmed her Wikipedia page. Anyway, it was good enough book that it made me want to read her own stuff, which is... I think the reason why a lot of these writers re, uh, writers write Star Wars novels is to pick up some fans for their own stuff. Like Chuck Wendig, I read one of his afterwards. Uh, but I feel like she was really hamstrung by the the powers that be at Disney in a very frustrating way because it was a great story. And I was like, oh my God, this is so interesting. And it made me question how Rise of Skywalker is going to start and where the rebellion is going to be because you know, there's only like 20 of them in the, the end there. They're all just piled in the Millennium Falcon. And, uh, but we know there's going to be more. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm trying to avoid all spoilers for Rise of Skywalker, but you know, Lando Calrissian is in the trailer, you know, so we know there's going to be more somehow. And I was like, oh, maybe this will tell us some stuff. But it doesn't. It has a great adventure. And then in the end, like, they just carefully, meticulously set it up. So, while the physical location of our rebels has changed, their predicament is basically exactly the same as it was at the end of, of Last Jedi. And I was like, oh, come on. 
There is only one new character added to their party by the end that stays with them. There's all these, so, you know, if you if you read the books and you watch the movies, you're watching the movie and you're like, well, you're aware of these other characters are out there doing things, right? Like, like uh, Nora Wexley and you know, people like that that make appearances in the books but are not with them in The Last Jedi. So you're like, it's not inconceivable somehow they're going to be there in the movie. But they wouldn't do that because then you'd be confused as a viewer to the movie if you didn't read the book. So Nora Wexley is not going to be there, uh, which is kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but there is one person, a very interesting person that may be with them that was not in any of the movies anytime recently and not in any of the books anytime recently that with this book placed this person with Leia at the end. So we'll see. I mean, it's such a minor character. Unless you're a total Star Wars nerd, you wouldn't care. And if you are a total Star Wars nerd, you're probably reading the book. So who am I really spoiling it for? But I will just err on the side of caution there. Uh, okay, and then I read Ragwarts by Bill Drummond. Bill Drummond is one of my artistic heroes. He was the main guy in the KLF. Uh, also related, I won a KLF vintage t-shirt at a charity auction this week. It should be here any day now. I'm very excited. I've wanted a KLF shirt for 20 years, and I got one out of charity auction, so that was very excited. But uh, anyway, he wrote this book called Ragwarts about 10 years ago. Uh, when he was doing a artist-in-residence composer-in-residence at a festival in Liverpool... Sheffield, not Liverpool, Sheffield, 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 because he talks about Cabaret, Voltaire, and the Human League. Uh, and then, as one of his weird things he does, he printed a bunch of these copies of the book on his press. He has his own press publishing company. And then he decided he'd only sell like 100 a year for the next 10 years. <laughs> so you can't, it's really hard to buy the book. If you look on eBay, there's one there for $100. But he, I'm on his mailing list, and he's like, today's the day, everybody. This is the one day every year that the Ragworts is for sale if you want to buy it. So I bought it. I got it. I was like, oh, my God, I got this book. And so it shipped, and I read it. It's a quick read. It's about an hour. It's about like his experience in Sheffield being a composer in residence. He's got this choir now called The 17 where they make... Anybody can be in the band, the choir, and they sing according to a quote-unquote score that is like a list of instructions he writes out for the choir. Like, stand on your head and say, ah, or something. You know, that's not one of them. But, you know, anyway, it's one of his artistic weirdness things. Uh, and Ragwards was interesting to read in the Trump and uh, Brexit era because he sort of pissed on, like, political protest music. And I'm like, you don't know what's coming, dude. <laughs> And I'd love to read something from him now. He hasn't put a new book out in quite some time. I've got all his old ones. 33, 45, 17. Um, he hasn't put out a book in a while, so I don't know where his head's at with this whole politics thing. But I was like, kind of at first, I'm not super into Ragwarts. And I was like, when, wait, when did this book came out? I was like, oh, okay, he doesn't know what's coming. So I felt bad for him. But yeah, it really ties in. Like My, my album's a protest album. And I've thought a lot about rock singers and protest music lately. And I was like... I disagree with Bill Drummond's opinion and take on protest music, and it is irking me. Uh, I don't know. Maybe my, my love affair with Bill Drummond is is cutting short as he gets older. He is, you know, a boomer after all, right? Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I got to see what he does next. Uh, anyway, so finish that. Now I'm reading this book I learned about when I was reading Jill Lepore's These Truths. It is called The New Deal, A Global History by Kieran Klaus Patel. And uh, Jill Lepore in these truths said this was like one of the best books about the new deal and i'm obsessed with the new deal and fdr 
And I was like, all right, I'll read this. And it is very good. It is the New Deal, but it placed into international context. And it's kind of awesome, actually, because it's like, these are the weird international conferences like Harold Ikes or Henry Wallace would go to to learn about what they were doing at the Farm Administration or the Reconstruction Administration. <laughs> it's like a weird list of international conferences. I mean, it's definitely bigger and more sweeping than that. You know, like, uh, it turns out Uruguay was a total, like, uh, innovator in Social Security, for example, stuff like that. You know, it's I, it's right up my alley. It is wonderfully nerdy about New Deal. Learned a lot about this like portion of the New Deal I hadn't heard about before, where they built whole towns and like interviewed people to go live in these towns. It's kind of part of the Garden City movement, which I read about in Jane Jacobs. Um, it's very interesting. I didn't really know about this. And it was like, they build a whole town and they also did these cooperative farms and, you know, they got a lot of shit for this with socialism. Uh, he, and, uh, you know, from the, from the business people screaming, telling them they're communists, but basically they would build a whole town on a garden city paradigm and they would get like 4,000 people to move to it. And they like would manage micromanage their whole lives and their jobs and everything and like see if they could turn in you know they, like there's this whole fascination with back to the land and farming and cities are bad and slum clearance and they really kind of given up on cities you know until like the sort of urban rejuvenation of the 90s the cities were kind of just like written off almost and so you know hitler had a whole thing like this too he wanted everybody he wanted to be a country of farmers and fdr apparently shared some of that he had a very fondness of farms and he kept trying to make farm towns and have people move to them and they wouldn't work <laughs> and they would just sort of collapse or be a waste of money eleanor was really into it too and then eventually like the businessmen were like this is that was like the thing they would make fun of with the new deal and they cut it they just gave up on it because you know they didn't want to deal with the bad press so that was all very interesting there's some interesting stuff around the currency management stuff and how the united u.s really screwed other countries to uh devalue its currency and then you know, a lot of stuff about smoot and holly and the tariffs and the like unilateral good neighbor policy and the unilateral tariff reductions with the latin america that we would do i you know i always heard about the good neighbor policy but i never really read a lot about it in depth and that was really interesting that's kind of like the main thrust of the new deal internationally because the whole new deal was very domestically focused um we had the silver act that a bunch of Western senators made us do that sort of made silver like a viable currency and it totally screwed over China and basically contributed heavily to the Chinese revolution. So, Hey, cool. Good for us. Right. Uh, he, once he figured that out, he did try and mitigate and fix it. But we, yeah, we, the whole point is like FDR knew he was sort of doing these things and screwing over other countries, but like it was a battle for democracy against fascism. And he's like, if we don't succeed as a democratic country, nobody will think democracies can work. So the first order of business, if I want to help this planet is to make sure that democracy is shown as a viable alternative to fascism, which is crazy, but also right now, not so crazy. I think that's one of the reasons I like reading so much about the New Deal. I think I've said this before, but it really ties back a lot to where we're at right now. Uh, it's nuts. Yeah, it's nuts. Nuts, nuts, nuts. But it's a good book. I will finish it tonight, probably, maybe tomorrow. And that's two books by men in a row, so I was like, oh, you know, I gotta read some more women books. I have uh, books written by women. Women books sound so derogatory. I apologize. Um, I have read 51 books this year, so I'm almost uh, hit my 52 for the year, and 27 of them are by women, so I am already over the half. I just need to make sure that the ratio doesn't get screwed between now and December. 
uh, and I really want to read the book by those Fusion GPS guys that just came out because I've seen them a couple times on MSNBC and it's nuts and they still stand by all of the Steele dossier and I read uh, his testimony when he, he he testified to both the Senate and House committees way a long time ago like beginning of the year uh, Josh Simpson from Fusion GPS and his partner and uh, I don't know the book looks intense so I'll probably read that and then go back to books written by female authors. But it's getting hard because I really want to read the Ronan Farrow book. Uh, and I want to read uh, this book called Narrative Economics, which is like a new theory of economics around storytelling by Robert Schiller that I read a thing about. So, And then I want to read this FDR and Chief Justice Hughes, FDR's Relationship with the Supreme Court by Jeff James F. Simpson. And all those are written by men. It's getting hard. but And I have a couple, I have like a few more books here by women uh, but they're like uh, a either children's raising books, No Bad Kids by Janet Lansbury, or The Whole Brain Child by uh, Tina Payne Bryan, or really long. So the next real like dive in one that I need to read by a woman, I, and I'll probably just actually I'll just read this next because it's right up my alley. Is The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff. But that's like 600 pages, so I feel like that's gonna be the last book of the year. So I don't know. I don't know. It's gonna be one of those next. Maybe the FDR and the Chief Justice. Oh, that one would be like continuing the theme I'm on right now, right? We shall see. We shall see. But that is where we are at with books. And we have just crossed the hour mark, excluding the two new songs are going to debut at the end. This is this is an epic podcast. I'm into it. Turning to work. Work is going great. We had our highest day of the year this week. So the big question is, how are we going to do today? Today is, of course, Black Friday, buy nothing day. We all are supposed to buy nothing today. I have bought nothing today. Have you bought nothing today? I hope you've bought nothing today. And we were a little thrown off with having our highest day of the year on Wednesday. So we we're hoping today might be huge. But I'm looking at my dashboard and it looks like it's a good solid day. But I don't think it's going to be a record today. So I don't really know. We shall see. We shall see. But we are doing great for the year. We're a very profitable company. We're about to do some more hires, which is exciting. I always say that, but we're still only 18 people. It's a lot of looking for people. We got one guy that's signed, so that'll be 19. Um, and then we're opening up a bunch more positions uh, in January, so that'll be the bunch. I think right now we are hiring for a data protection officer, a mobile director, director of mobile, and a QA engineer. So if you know anybody that is into GDPR, send them my way for the data protection officer. Uh, yeah, but it's going well. It's exciting. Moving into the holidays are big, big, big crunch time here. So let's see how it goes. Uh, so then the other thing that's interesting is there's this whole thing going on with the FTC and YouTube. I don't know how much you've been following this, but like a lot of the YouTube creators I watch are freaking out because like they're, they're moving COPPA down the chain and like the creators themselves are responsible for saying if their content is directed towards kids and it's real dodgy and it's like uh, YouTube got a big fine for doing all this COPPA stuff. And the way they, they've agreed to get out of it is to just make all the creators deal with it because YouTube's tech can't be like contained. I don't even know. It's nuts. It doesn't make any sense. It's so bad. And like uh, my Lego guy, Jang Bricks, who's like this amazing Lego video guy I watch, uh, he's just got these like amazing two parts of FTC and YouTube creators, COPPA, like 
<laughs> videos now and it's all very fascinating and it, it would stress me out if I was a YouTube creator right now because the FTC is trying to put guidelines around is this for kids is this not but it's like just one of those you know I know all about this because as you know from listening to my podcast I read a lot of weird books about the FTC and regulations and advertising and I've literally read the history of the FTC and I've read several of their cons like consent decrees and Supreme Court cases and acts of Congress that empowers the FTC but most people haven't read all this stuff and so the FTC puts out like these advisory blog posts and they say that this is you know how we're going to interpret the law and everybody's like that's not fair and it's like well yeah it's not fair but they're telling I mean like they're at least they're telling you how they feel and also if you disagree you can ignore it and take them to court like people do that all the time like often the FTC like stretches beyond its remit and then they're smacked down by the courts if you want to spend like a couple hundred thousand dollars doing it and like but no creator has actually stepped up and said they're going to do that it's a fun drama it's like not in my world at all but i'm enjoying watching it unfold because i do think somebody one of the big creator networks maybe should just suck it up and and challenge the fdc in court because i think it will be a bit hard to claim it's on the creators and reconcile that with the communications decency act and section 230 the two are almost fundamentally at odds and it needs to go to court and i want to see what happens yeah, I don't know. I'm just really interested in it. And then uh, the other tech thing is, of course, I signed up for Disney Plus. I, I I sucked it up. I did it. Figured why not? I really wanted to watch Mandalorian. Basically, I was avoiding it because I was enjoying Watchmen, and I was like, this is enough good TV for me. But then I got the spoiler of the baby, and so I was like, well, I gotta watch this now. So I did it. The UX is really wonky, and there's like a lot of stuff on there that you didn't wouldn't know that's on there. It's a little confusing. And why do they have The Simpsons but no other Fox content? And and uh, I was trying to browse all movies last night and it just won't load after C's. Like, it's super buggy. I don't know. But uh, 4K Star Wars, I'm not complaining about that, man. That's pretty sweet. But honestly, I don't find it, other than The Mandalorian, I don't find anything hugely compelling in there. I already own Star Wars and have it in two other streaming services. I mean, you know, I bought them in iTunes and I have them on my own Plex, not like, you know, Netflix or something. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I did the, I just paid for the whole year. So I'm going to give myself a year to decide if it's worth it or not. We shall see. We shall see. But it all reminds me like five, six years ago, I would get in arguments with MG Siegler and a couple other people on Twitter about the breaking up of the cable companies and how it wasn't worth it and wasn't going to be good for us. And I feel like I've really been vindicated, man. <laughs> like, everybody's bills are going up and cable was a great deal and now it sucks and I'm super annoyed the end all right the moment you've been waiting for the hour and seven mark we are finally going to talk about my new music my album is done i have a band name it is called my band is called defective frequency it's a pun on a ad economics thing <laughs> which is uh should give you an idea of how nerdy this whole album is and the album is called The Public's Business. And uh, if regular longtime listeners of the podcast may remember that phrase as the name of a book I read about a year and a half ago. So, yeah, I started this album in like June or July. I want to say June, July, August, September, October, in five months. Wrote, written, recorded, mixed, and mastered. And it is uh, up. I've put it up on the services. It will be. Available for sale on Bandcamp at DefectiveFrequency.Bandcamp.com on December 9th. December 9th is the release date of this album. It should also show up in Spotify and uh, Apple Music 
and YouTube music and title and everything except for Amazon. I haven't done Amazon yet, which is ironic because I make a lot of money off of Amazon. I made like 800 bucks off of Amazon last month, by the way. It's crazy. I was just like, uh, sold a ton of, uh, truck books in Japan. Go figure. I don't know. It's crazy. And I got my actual, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 <laughs> being uh, a little off topic here, but I got my royalty check from agency, which is another like 1500 bucks. I was like, Oh my God, I made two grand this month off of my books. That's almost enough to like live above the poverty line. <laughs> Not quite, but close. I was very proud of myself. Anyway, uh, the album will be everywhere on December 9th. You can, Buy it in advance on Bandcamp if you want to download it. And uh, there's a website. It's at defectivefrequency.com. Great thing about Defective Frequency is it wasn't taken anywhere. And there's a Twitter, Defective Freak. <laughs> F-R-E-Q, not F-R-E-A-K, uh, which you can also link to. So the, the really all you need to remember is defectivefrequency.com. It'll put the links to Bandcamp and Spotify. The Twitter link is up there. As the other ones come out, it'll be up there. And, uh, you know, I'm excited. This is, I've sent songs to friends. A couple of you listen to the podcast. have heard it. And I've sent maybe 10 friends. I've heard different songs, maybe 15 friends, but, uh, these are the final versions and uh, mostly people haven't heard the final versions yet. And there's some songs no one's heard. And, you know, I don't think anybody except for Abby has heard them all. So I'm going to play two for you today. The first two on the album. The first one is called hats off to Bobby. And the second one is called I was right. The second one is the least political album on or song on the album. The first one is not the most political, which is kind of crazy because it's pretty political. Basically, I made a protest album and I feel pretty good about it. So I'm going to play them both for you now and then I'll say goodbye and thank you at the end. And uh, thank you for listening. If you have any questions about them, hit me up and uh, I'll talk more about it. If not, it'll just go out in the world. It'll be done. I'll have completed a thing and gotten out there and I'll move on to album two. And you can just listen to me talk about my creative process on the podcast and never actually listen to any of the output. That is totally acceptable. I am okay with that. So here we go.
All right. Well, that was the first one. Hats off to Bobby. Special thanks to my friend Tara Boulay for those backing vocals. She did a great job. Now we're going to move on to the second one. I was right.
And there we go. Two songs from the new album, The Public's Business by my new band, Defective Frequency. Thank you so much for listening. Let me know what you think. Listening to what was the longest web Chatham report ever at an hour and 23 minutes. I don't know if you made it through the whole thing, but I'm deeply thankful if you did. I hope you liked my new music, but if you didn't, that's cool too. It's just good to get something done and out there in the world. I will try and keep up the regular pace and talk to you guys in two weeks. Take care. Drop a line. I miss you guys. Bye.